And although the law required no reason at all to fire an FBI director, the administration then chose to defame me and more importantly the FBI by saying that the organization was in disarray, that it was poorly led, that the workforce had lost confidence in its leader. Those were lies, plain and simple. Hello and welcome to Politics, a podcast negotiated by the attorneys of Mr. Jeb Lund and the dishonorable Mr. Tim Bat, both of whom have done nothing wrong, but we're hoping to change that. Uh, hey, Jeb. No comment. Fair enough. Sorry, everyone, <laughs> that we've been off for so long. Um, shit's been going on. Jeb's been off seeing family, which I think is great. How's it been, Jeb? Uh, I'm, I, you know, I, I caught, I got some allergies and I caught a cold, which I think is the good, ha- the hallmark of any good trip. If your immune system is so compromised that by the end of it, you come home and you just take every illness you encountered with you. And depending uh, on the family, the perfect analogy for visiting them. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. The sort of the, the sort of accreted like genomic shortcomings <laughs> have been kind of revisited <laughs> on you. <laughs> Such a way with words, young man. Um, and meanwhile, I've been trying to get my shit together because uh, in the infinite wisdom, the state broadcasters decided to give me a TV show here. So I'm trying to figure figure out how to do that because that kicks off quite soon. Uh, yeah, so, I saw uh, that. Has, so I was is, about that. Are, are, you, are you knocking it's, wood constantly? Are you just thumbing, you're thumping your, your temple with your fists and then anything that looks... I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's spending 50% of my energy like planning the show and the other 50% of my energy just try not to get too worked up about it because realistically it'll it'll happen either way it might be shit that's all right I just need to not get too worked up about it because I'll just I'll psych myself out I don't want that um but anyway well, there's not why people on, tune into I, this podcast Jeb well I, hang on I don't want to put another thing on you here but have you thought about the pressure this adds on me because now I have to get a tv show I didn't think about that, but um, there's way more channels in America, so theoretically, this should be easier for you. Fuck, no, like it's it's like so unfair now because now if I don't get one, it's like, come on, this is like a layup. <laughs> uh, I won't. I'm not going to drag you through. Plus, I'm part of the old media now, Jeb. I've gone backwards. Podcasts are supposed to be the future. This is broadcast television. It's, I'm just trying to cash my check as uh, as the Titanic sinks to mix two metaphors. Yeah, you know, if we could anyway. just get like a, if we get a wardrobe budget for podcasts, that's what I would be. That's what I would like. If at the end we were doing the credits and it said like you know Jeb Lund's wardrobe, wardrobe brought to you by Alfani. <laughs> that's that's it's what I need. Such, it's been such a long time since since last we spoke, Jeb. So much has happened. Um, I want to kick off with the Russia probe. And since we last spoke, like Comey's testified and called the president a liar. Sessions testified recently. And just told everyone he doesn't remember a goddamn thing. And then more recently, Trump has started, it seems like, to feel very cornered. And he's just lashing out at everyone around him. And sent out a tweet saying that he's being investigated for firing the FBI director. By the man who told me to fire the FBI director. And who he's talking about there is Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Who is the guy who, it's it sort of fallen to his um, purview a little bit. This, all, all the stuff that isn't part of the uh, special, um, what is it? Not a special prosecutor. A spe- what is it? It's special counsel, isn't it? Everything that's not him is now falling to Rod Rosenstein. You, you pick up the pieces, Jeb. What's, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so the what's interesting is in this I, I, something I, I caught at the end of the day is that uh, Trump hasn't been given any formal documentary notification that he is under investigation. So. He's going entirely off of press coverage. So when he tweeted that today, mm-hmm. um, either he was confirming something that there was no like official, you know, uh, process for, or he was just indicating that his understanding of the situation comes only from television's coverage of it, which is slightly alarming because there have been uh, multiple pieces in. There was one in Politico, or maybe they were both in Politico. I, I, I'm not sure the provenance of the second one, in which he's taken to just blurting out to random people in the middle of conversation i'm not under investigation um whoa which is just sort of like <laughs> just like such a weird kind of tick to have like uh and then uh he's yelling at the television 
when he goes when he passes into rooms <laughs> that have uh, the 24 hour news coverage of him and mention the Russia investigation. He's apparently taken to berating the screen. And in all of this, like with the, the Watergate overtones and the, you know, the, the threatening to fire uh, <laughs> this, you know, the uh, uh, special counsel and then, uh, you know, threatening to fire. Um, you know, other appointees like, in the, you know, he, he fired Comey, but maybe he's going to have like a full replay of a, of the Saturday night massacre uh, of Watergate. But it, it's sort of reminding you of or me of the uh, uh, of Nixon kind of walking around the White House drunk and talking to the JFK portrait, you know, <laughs> the uh, when when it's people like see you, used, they, you know? it used to be House of Cards announced the Simpsons and he's Abe just kind of yelling at clouds, <laughs> you know, because he just turned 71 years old and the, just I don't know, man. The behavior of the man is, is pretty insane. I feel like we are dealing with a different dude in office than um, who campaigned, just in terms of how he kind of presents and talks and things. And he just doesn't seem like a mentally well um, individual, if I can play play armchair psychologist one more time in this podcast. But I, I think it's important to just take a real quick breather and try and revisit. And I know you've been off the grid for a few days, and I have as well. And in some ways, we haven't been following this with laser focus, but trying to remember like the things that we do know and the things that we don't about this Russia probe, because the investigations kicked off to try and analyze how much impact the Russian government had in the recent US election. And then from there, it's evolved into this investigation of was there collusion between the Trump administration and the Kremlin. And the things that we do know is that uh, Comey's been fired as FBI director. Trump, when he was talking to Lester Holt on NBC, I know everyone is saying it's like a deadlock, but I mean, it, it, it's you've got to take it, the fact that Trump seemed to announce that the reason for that was the Russia probe, within the context of Trump just says a lot of things, right? So it's, I don't want to necessarily give him the benefit of the doubt and he hasn't even tried to defend um the position that he fired him uh to to try and alleviate pressure from the russia probe but it's it's like this is just a dude who says a lot of things so i'm saying we can't be cherry picking some things that he says you know and and not putting any weight whatsoever on others so i just i think it's careful to not pay too much attention to what president trump says but anyway what we do know is that Comey got fired. Comey believes he got fired um, because he announced when he was testifying to the Senate that that was to alleviate pressure that the president was feeling about the investigation, which for my money sounds like obstruction of justice, put in a, in a slightly different phrasing. And we also know that Jeff Sessions, who's the attorney general, has lied three times now, I think, separately about meeting Russian officials. Does that sound right, Jeb? Yes. Well, he's lied at least so twice, it, but he's it, had three distinct... It, it, the, so the first he lied under under oath when he was uh, during his confirmation process because he didn't mention the first two times he met Sergei Kislyak or Kislyak. I, I wish everybody could just settle on one pronunciation. And then I guess there there was a a third meeting that went unreported, which when you're you're disclosing on the federal form, I guess that you 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 hand over when you're you're about to become a cabinet member you have to own up to kind of like any potential foreign entanglements or or conversations or associations you have and by not doing that then we have like kind of a documentary thing of like okay well this omission uh that then has like actual concrete legal consequences so there's three but i think it's only been reported on twice so there's the first two and then the third and uh, oh cuz i thought that the third one was that photo that um surfaced recently where there was uh it was like a reuters photographer or something like that who um found a photo of it might have been kislyak again but it was in like a hotel lobby where sessions was and he hadn't announced that one either that was on a separate date that guy gets around i really i I applaud him like he's he's like the where's waldo of um, like authoritarian smar merchants i guess he's russian he's russian forrest gump that dude he's everywhere he's everywhere (laughs) significant um, so that, that's the stuff we do know, and it's it's. Uh, it, it, do you think, first of all, that Rod Rosenstein, like, what is he even in charge of at this point? Because the special counsel has been brought in, which is headed by the former FBI director. So, what is Rod Rosenstein sort of in charge of? Do you know? Well, everything else. I mean, like, you know, he's he's, you know, he still has a day job apart from this one. You know, this Russia investigation isn't his day gig. 
But but yeah. Jeff Sessions is still the Attorney General, right? He's only recused himself from anything related to Russia or the Trump administration. So so that's yeah, the stuff that it, falls to Rod Rosenstein. But that stuff has now fallen to the special counsel. So is Rod Rosenstein really still in play? I, yeah, I don't think he. I mean, so from the the, the comments that he has made about potential two friends uh, that were sort of like I guess anonymously sourced, saying that he may need to recuse himself. Um, if at any point he was cognizant of of Trump's desire to get rid of James Comey to obstruct the Russia investigation, he has to recuse himself from all of it because, you know, he was instrumental in coming up with the, the sort of like kind of cover story for getting rid of of Comey. So in that case, you would you he would be sort of lumped into this conspiracy to obstruct justice and so for right yeah. appearance sake he would have to he would have to kind of recuse himself personally like I, this has nothing to do with anything i just think rod rosenstein is like the most ford fairlane kind of name out of the entire administration like rod rosenstein is a guy who's driving like some mean loud blistering like 19 you know early 50s like chevy roadster and wants to three race there's something about alliteration in the real world which gives someone a, a real comic book quality to them, eh? It's that whole, like, Lois Lane, Clark Kent thing. But it's also his first name being Rod. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, a good you know, point. Not enough Rods in the world at the moment. It's a good it's like, name. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it just, he rumbles at you like an engine. It's yeah. Rod Rosenstein. It's stern, it's strong. It's Rod Rosenstein. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, the investigation is persisting at some rate of knots and uh i don't it's it's just it's becoming really difficult for me to follow at this stage and not just for lack of like trying or putting time and energy into it it is getting super duper complicated at this point just to figure out kind of what what stage everything seems to be at right and and because all of this comes out you know it's 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 very iterative and so you get a new bit of news and then you speculate about what the next bit of news will be. And then oftentimes the speculation leads correctly to what the next bit of news is, but then that creates sort of another iteration of speculation. And then sometimes that speculation is wrong. And the next news bit that we have on this timeline is somewhat different. And it becomes in, in part because everyone is sort of discussing it ad nauseum and in a lot of time, in a lot of cases, they're they're speculating in a way that doesn't sound speculative. It becomes very much like if then, and it sounds very conclusive. Even if you're paying attention really closely every day, it becomes difficult. I think sometimes to to know what's what's happening because you know the same tone of voice is sometimes used for stuff that is is purely uh, you know just conjecture, and then. As you know, the the reported stuff, and then you know you you can miss only a couple of hours and miss two beats of the news cycle. You can miss two days, and and maybe nothing changes. But there is that kind of like elasticity of the the timeline, uh, uh just sort of baked into the, this whole fiasco. Yeah, which isn't um by design, you conspiracy theorists out there, because no one can <laughs> play this kind of five-dimensional chess. This is just... No no one can put this together. It's just fucking... It's still my bloody head in, to be honest, Jeb. Um, but it's just an interesting, almost like kind of pub quiz dimensions of this. Uh, President Trump's personal lawyer has got his own attorney now as well, representing him um, for these sort of matters. So that's kind of funny. And it looks like Vice uh, President Mike Pence has also lawyered up. So everyone's getting lawyers. Even the lawyers are getting lawyers now. And, and Trump has now a couple of different people as outside counsel specifically for this matter. And then one of them has his own spokesperson. So the other day, I think it was yesterday when when people were seeking comment from President Trump's attorney, we heard from President Trump's attorney's spokesperson. So there, it's like, you know, we, we're, we're kind of like building, man, I just realized how many people are going to make Russian nesting doll metaphors out of just the, the attorneys. And it just huh. bummed me I've out seen it profoundly. Come up in, <laughs> like, yeah, I've seen it come up in other contexts on Twitter a few times already. Um, but yeah, good, hey, listen, if you're out there writing headlines for minimum wage for a newspaper that still exists somewhere in Heartland America, go hell for leather. These opportunities don't always present themselves in such clear and easy terms. Um, well, let me ask you about some other stuff that's going on then, uh, Jeb, about more kind of concrete issues. Have you been following what's been happening recently with um, the healthcare legislation? I know that um, it 
think it got leaked that uh, President Obama, uh, sorry, President Trump, when he was being briefed on it by the uh, GOP, announced that it was mean was the word that was used and possibly <laughs> called the bill a son of a bitch as well um, when he heard their current iteration of the America Healthcare uh, Act. So have you been following any of that? Well, I missed that. That that. Thank you. I I can't believe I missed that. It's mean, uh, it, which is funny. Yeah, it was really a few does. days ago, so it would have been when you were in the thick of things, I think. Yeah, or maybe, yeah. We, uh, our flight back, we had a five-hour flight back with no Wi-Fi, and the chargers didn't work for part of it, and then the, the little TV on the back of the seats was out uh, for Nightmare. the whole plane, which is great when you have a toddler, by the way. I just want to say, like, when oh my God. you can't put them in front of a screen. And uh, there's, anyway, um, no, what I saw today, and I don't, you might not have seen this, was there was a great uh, Vox piece where they had multiple Vox uh, uh, reporters tracking down uh, Republican senators and asking them, what is in the health care bill? Like, just what is the legal and concrete mechanism by which the health care bill operates and what outcomes does it create? And every single one of them has just an absolute bullshit answer, non-answer, uh, just or, you know, when, when somebody's saying like, well, what is in the bill and what does it do? And they say like, well, it fixes the problems with Obamacare by being all on the same page. And it's, it's, it, I think it's very telling that there is no talking point for how the basic mechanism of the law would work and what outcome it is meant to to lead to. I think because, you know, this is maybe just my being supremely cynical, the point of the bill is to give a tax cut to the top 2%, and literally anything else that happens is fine. So nobody's even bothering to come up with talking points for it. It's just easier to draft it in secret, and at least for a couple of hours before the backlash stops, you try to block reporters from even showing up at the Capitol. So I was listening to um, the Slate Political Gab Fest earlier today, which is like just the the hottest of takes. They really are probably the, the best podcast I listen to of the whole bunch. And they but were talking these, about um, people, how... People listening to yeah. this shouldn't listen to it, right? Like we don't want to... Don't hemorrhage <laughs> the audience. It's, it's bad. There would it's, be, you're listening. There'd be no reason to listen to us if they did. You're um, listening to that but, to, to learn what not to do is what you're saying. Like... Just as an example. Yeah, I'm listening so you don't have to. I'll put it that way. There you um, go. Yeah, yeah, they're terrible. They're terrible. Never listen. But they, they were sort of trying to pour through um, uh, not necessarily the contents, but the process that's going on at the moment with figuring this legislation out. Because it, you, as you rightly say, Jeb, it's being worked out uh, behind closed doors by a very small number of Republican operatives um, to figure it out. And I love that the <laughs> this, this bit of news that the president has described it as mean. Um, got leaked out uh, and it, it's, it seems to be very intentional and this is something that Mitch McConnell has chosen to do possibly and this is speculative for the reason that if they're able to kind of get a just slightly more passable version of the original American Healthcare Act that we saw which uh, died on its ass when it got brought out and they had to pull it back um, they do that, it still won't get voted in. It acts as a bit of a sacrificial lamb so that they can sort of wipe the slate clean a little bit and bring something else in off the back. But I just, I don't think they're going to have any political capital or time left um, before uh, the the, uh, the elections that happen next year. Yeah, and, and another kind of corollary uh, to this, and maybe you saw this too, I think this was another thing that came out yesterday. There is no state in which the uh, the acha is polling well um yeah it, you know, it's, it, it's i think 38 percent is the top it gets in any state in america i think was the figure that i heard could have yeah, been slightly it, wrong but it's definitely not hitting 50 and from memory nowhere near it yeah and and in the the worst polling state I mean, the one that is least favorable to let's say you know people who like obamacare or leftists in general uh opposition to it is still winning by four percent so uh, just the, the and the longer that those numbers have a chance to sink in with senators, potentially uh, the, the, the more people you'll see break away. Supposedly, uh, McConnell handed out two kind of freebie no votes uh, because he could give away. I mean, they can only lose three, but he gave out two, you know, to sort of preserve or, or I guess. No, they can lose three because then uh, Pence can be the tiebreaker. Right. Um, 
But it's kind of better if they don't have to... Well, it's better if they don't have to rely on even getting close to that, but you wouldn't want to have to rely on a tiebreaker vote coming in, right? Right, and and they've already... Just because it expends Pence's capital as well by doing that, and it looks kind of heavy-handed and slightly less democratic. Right, yeah, and and then... uh, But just the fact that he's given... Allegedly, he gave away the the freebies to, like, I think, uh, you know... uh, um, snow and uh, and murkowski or something and and so like there there are uh republicans who have elections coming up uh that in in 2018 who are going to be vulnerable if they don't get that freebie if they don't vote no uh so it'll be yeah like there every day that passes another day in which somebody can just sort of stare at those hard numbers and think like you know what the fuck am i doing uh, although, you know, again, that's relying on sort of like deplayed conscious or conscience of a Republican legislator. And it's just like not a really good thing to bet on. <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Uh, not from what we've seen so far. The other, um, just while we're kind of talking about co- concrete policy stuff that's been going on, or well, this isn't super concrete, but it's been kind of funny. Ann Coulter has just come out of the woodwork for some, re- for some reason. People weren't paying her enough attention in the last 24 hours, lashing out at Trump for um, having zero progress on building the wall. Um, so he's really like, this is an administration that is under fire from truly all sides now. Like, you're in trouble if you're a Republican president and Ann Coulter's calling you out um, because you're not being racist enough. Um, which is what now what is happening and kind like you know obviously it was a deplorable thing to put out there during the campaign but she's got a point like this is what he, he campaigned on this is um, a large part of what he got uh, voted in f- for by a lot of people and he I think tried to roll it as part of the uh, <laughs> infrastructure week which was last week, tried to roll it as part of that $1 billion infrastructure package, um, which it looked like that was a whole raft of other problems. It was just delivering a lot of money to his rich mates as well. Yeah, and, and I just there were a couple of things I noticed about that too that just sort of along those lines. Um, if you look at uh, just in the last day, uh, uh, Trump's uh, Department of Homeland Security said it wasn't going to go after uh, children who were brought here illegally by their parents basically like an Obama era policy because you're not going to punish kids for actions they had no control over. Now this could get reversed by Trump. If he find, you know, it's possible he has no idea this even happened. Right. And that he's going to, he's going to tweet about it tomorrow and this is all going to be over. You know, it could be by seven in the morning, there could be five angry, angry tweets saying the wall just got 10 feet taller or whatever. Uh, But what's been interesting is that there's a complete, I mean, absence of coverage uh in the right wing on this because he just reversed on a big red meat issue for the base and there isn't anything in uh breitbart or fox news uh or drudge where saying anything about the fact that the you know the the what you could paint is like the bureaucracy working around trump said hang on we're just going to keep this this obama era thing and that, that's sort of big because if you look at what what trump's game plan has been it's basically just been let's reverse whatever obama did and uh you know case in point basically he's keeping the embassies open the cuban embassy in washington and the american embassy in havana open but he's trying to restrict uh american travel to cuba and american investment in cuba by tying uh by by basically prohibiting anybody from investing in something that has ties to the cuban military which suffuses that that whole economy not whole but like a huge portion of it yeah but this is basically like i you know i i feel like trump really doesn't have i mean trump obviously doesn't have like really thought out uh, uh opinions about cuba and it really does feel like this is just another like if obama said yes i'm saying no Except yeah, on this, you let me know, ask you a question about that, if I may, Jeb. Do you the the thing that happened recently with Cuba? So Obama um, managed to get sort of normalized um, relations with Cuba back happening after decades of very frosty American-Cuban relations, and uh, it's just been announced that Trump has kind of stepped that whole thing back. Do you think that's just something bright and shiny he saw on the table that had Obama's name on it, and he knew it was something that he could take away? So that's why he's grabbed it. I think that's a huge part of it. Um, you know, the fact that Cuba is communist does a lot of work with his base. And, um, you know, the Cuban donor class generally likes this. The Cuban donor class is older um, and wealthier. And, and so it, it really doesn't matter to them um, 
what barriers they are there are in in Cuba, they can afford to just keep fighting this this over a half century old losing battle with tools that clearly clearly don't work. You know, it's the you once you get to people under forty. Uh, Cuban Americans under forty, the you know, the actual like fuck Castro attitude kind of goes from like uh, being a crusade to just something you say and otherwise you don't really give a shit about. Also, the lower you are on the the, the revenue totem pole, uh, the less apt you are to care because of course the poorer you are, the fewer avenues you have to get around uh, this embargo and and talk to any family you have there. So poorer and younger people are just like fine, normalize it nobody cares um but, right so from your perspective the wealthier you are it doesn't these these barriers and restrictions aren't going to mean anything to them anyway because they'll always have a way to get around it no matter how complicated trump makes the process yes and and in in, in point of fact like a large part of it is those people who are wealthy came over here wealthy because they had they a lot to lose in cuba um so that there is like a material argument there they they want to punish castro for taking away their latifundia uh um, but, you know, so for, for Trump, you know, this, there is like, in addition to like, you know, Obama did it, fuck him kind of motivation, yeah. uh, the, the, the sort of wealthy, uh, you know, Cuban American donor class goes overwhelmingly to Republicans and always has, and this is sort of red meat to them. Uh, what it does electorally isn't much, but I mean, like Cuban Americans are about, I think, uh, like maybe two percent of the u.s hispanic population it's not a huge amount i'm going to take your word for that um we are going to take a break now on politics and when we come back we're going to talk about things that aren't america and probably some things that are still america but we'll look at other countries as well like the uk which just had an election did you hear about it probably but we haven't been on for ages so we're going to talk about (laughs) it i have just been to see her majesty the queen And I will now form a government, a government that can provide certainty and lead Britain forward at this critical time for our country. This government will guide the country through the crucial Brexit talks that begin in just 10 days and deliver on the will of the British people by taking the United Kingdom out of the European Union. It will work to keep our nation safe and secure Welcome back to politics, and believe it or not, there are shitty people in politics all over the world, not just in America, so we're going to talk about that for a little bit now, but first, Jeb, did you want to make a yeah, sort of correction? Yeah, I, 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 I have a bad habit sometimes of transposing statistics. I, I wrote about kind of Cuban-American uh, percentage of the Hispanic population when Rubio launched his campaign, so uh, the, this is something I wrote down back in 2015. Uh, it's not 2%, 2 million uh, Cuban Americans in the United, uh, in this country are 3.7 percent of the U.S. Hispanic population, but it, it's it's sort of interesting just to see um, how much that little percentage does uh, capture the pandering, um, in part because of, of Florida being such a big swing state, and uh, you know because of the the money involved in a, in a lot of Cuban American politics, and then of course how that affects uh, our, our relations to other you know Hispanics living in the U.S. because the Cubans have enjoyed uh, historically, uh, like a lot more avenues for, for asylum, uh, in this country. Whereas we will turn around and deport somebody fleeing, you know, uh, 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 you know, another sort of like awful, uh, Caribbean or, or Latin American regime, uh, because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't behoove our anti-communist bona, bona fides that way. So I, I, I... I'd never thought about that before that, um, this is actually probably a way bigger deal than I'd given it credit for the, um, movements on cuba because of florida being a swing state i hadn't sort of put that in my head that's uh, an interesting thing to remember thank you <laughs> so jeb also <laughs> thank you since we last spoke the united kingdom had an election and uh off the back of it it seems like the brexit vote has now claimed two very high profile british politicians um, because it, it it sort of looks like uh, the, the new Margaret Thatcher, she was being called, is um, out on her ass, and the Tories actually got, like, totally trounced. They're still in power, just barely. They got uh, 42.4% of the vote, but they lost um, 13 seats in their House of Parliament, which wasn't expected at all, because Theresa May called this election three years ahead of when it was 
normally going to happen after swearing that she wouldn't call a snap election. Her justification was that was um, her party, the Conservatives, needed to be in a very strong position um, and have the sort of will of the people united behind them so that they could go into the Brexit negotiations in a strong position, um, a, a strong negotiating position. And she's done the complete opposite of that. And after this uh, disastrous campaign that she ran, which was really bad, like just from a pure politics point of view, a really bad political campaign, um, which was all about strength and unity and being strong and sort of sensible and stable parliament. Um, she went and has sort of thrown the whole thing into disarray. The Conservatives have now had to team up to form a coalition with the DUP, uh, the Democratic Unionist Party, which are part of Northern Ireland. And uh, I mean, I only know a little bit about the politics of the Irish Republic and the um, and Northern Ireland, um, mainly by virtue of the fact that I'm from Irish heritage myself. So I've got sort of a, a not too distant lineage. My I think it was great grandma was hiding members of the IRA in her attic. Um, so, you know, my, uh, my mum and dad, uh, respectively, well, my dad's British and my mum is Kiwi born, but from a line of Irish and Scottish. So she was kind of the first generation to cross the streams and try and bury the hatchet with the Brits. Um, but anyway, just all of that to say that this is a very complicated charge situation now, which not only is sort of threatening these impending Brexit negotiations while um, the UK goes back to the EU and tries to form what sort of relationship they're going to have around trade and immigration and really huge, important decisions that are going to affect not just the economy, but how people live and travel around Europe, um, but also sort of threatens to light the fuse on this powder keg, which is Irish um, nationalism and Irish politics. Uh, because it's a very delicate situation which only recently has sort of started to calm down with Sinn Féin having a legitimate table chair at the table to um, be involved in the political process. And, I mean, it's a very, very painful recent history littered with acts of terrorism on both sides. And um, this is something which, it's sort of a scab which is now threatening to reopen uh, in in the UK. And it's uh, pretty scary but the flip side of it is, as uh, a couple of people you're listening to right now who are on the more liberal side of politics, um, Jeremy Corbyn outperformed everyone's expectations and managed to rally Labour uh, to an increase of 30 seats uh, from where their previous standing was. And they got 40% of the vote, which everyone was betting against Jeremy Corbyn being this not dottery old socialist. And there's been a lot of, uh, even within his own party, people sort of almost racing to get the knives to stab him in the back because they're anticipating him really falling flat in this election result and he's done the complete opposite. So that's it's been kind of an interesting one to watch. Have you been keeping an eye on the, the fallout at all, Jeb? I have enjoyed every happening? part of this. I mean, like, I you know, I, I got 40 things <laughs> I enjoy about this. Uh, seeing, like, every spent piece of ex-Blairite trash having to eat crow over this makes me very happy. Like... <laughs> uh, having seeing guardian columnists who they're supposed to be the the loyal left wing and and working class uh, representatives in, in in British journalism basically trashing Corbyn for two years and then demanding that he do better in the court of public opinion after trashing him watching those people eat crow has made me very happy watching another ex Obama uh, uh, you know wunderkinder. Like what, you know, David Pluff went off to, you know, the the rape factory at Uber or whatever the fuck Uber is now. And like Jim Messina Jesus went and ran, Christ. you know, as a good liberal, went and ran Theresa May's campaign. Uh, <laughs> and like he has disappeared from Twitter after just taking like a huge L and just getting dunked on by uh, by Jezza. So that's been fun. Um, seeing all the people come out of the. You love a bit of shout and Freud, I eh, Jeb. I like there is like. Uh, you know, I, I like I like Corbin. I like real leftists, and so there is this huge menagerie of failure surrounding him that you can enjoy right now. And it has been a very very long time coming. This delayed gratification. Um, so like people getting their knives out for Theresa May, and like the whole the whole like she's going to be the new Thatcher and the new Iron Lady, and you have these guys coming out and going like, look, she's basically a 
you know, she she's the 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 MP that shows up in a a profile in Better Homes and Gardens. This lady is not like not a good campaigner. Um, though the very idea that it was like we're going to get this vote to shore up our negotiating standpoint on Brexit. I mean, it was obvious that she was just trying to take an easy victory and dunk on on a fractured labor and then went up against a guy who's been a very good campaigner for his entire career and her message of what we need for unity and and, and for like a good mandate is well what are you going to do with brexit and she says well brexit means brexit like you fucking tautological shithead like <laughs> how did you think that you you were going to be like the new you know the new churchill or the new thatcher or the new you know the bismarck of 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 this new concert of europe if you're like well brexit is brexit and uh i mean this is like a lego my ego no, gonna- style definition right <laughs> like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back her up on this one. I think because the vote was so close in the UK and there were so many people in the wake of it um, after the Brexit vote that went, holy shit, I didn't have any anticipation that actually there was such a strong support for us leaving. Like I would have gone to the polls and voted. I think that was the attitude shared by many an under 25-year-old in the wake of the result. So I think what that was a reflection of, albeit poorly articulated, particularly from a political point of view, in terms of like putting it on a campaign bumper sticker. But what she was saying, obviously, was that the the vote stands. Because there have been, every political party seems to have its own variation, um, however far to the left from the centre you go, of we'll have some sort of a revote or some sort of a revisit of the result to to analyse if we're actually going to do it or not. But but you can see like... at every point since that vote, every party, um, but, you know, principally the Tories, because they, they're stuck, like, you know, holding the, whatever the metaphor is that you're stuck, holding the bag. There you go. I was like holding the ringer, holding the goot. I don't fucking. Holding um, the baby? Yeah. Like holding the baby, holding the bathwater, uh, the kitchen sink, the whole nine <laughs> yards. It, hold, holding the kitten caboodle. The whole enchilada. Um you know, they're they're looking for some sort of modified relationship where they get to have the you know a, a separate England and some kind of import autonomy, but with still the privileges and, uh, and 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 perquisites of a you know free trading on these selective issues. So they've never meant it in any hard way, and the closeness of the vote they could have just walked away from that because it was non-binding. They could have just said look, all right, you know, we take that as a recommendation, but it's so close, it doesn't count as a recommendation. This is a vote for the status quo. And in fact, the easiest argument for that would have been in the immediate aftermath, seeing how many of the sort of Brexiteers were utterly full of shit in terms of what uh, uh, membership in the EU was costing England um, and people sort of realizing and after the fact that they had been led astray by the tabloid media. But of course, the Tories have no interest in investigating the excesses and errors of the tabloid media since it invariably benefits them and and they have a very cozy relationship with that. So they boxed themselves in. They painted themselves in that corner. And, you know, I mm. really this was this was such a cynical election. I mean, it really was. We're going to get to do some more evil shit. We won't have to yeah. compromise with as many of our own members because we will have this this very clear uh, majority where we can stand to lose some votes here and there and still get this shit passed. And instead that, you know, the, the shambles come, came back to, to hit them. I, I love it. I mean, they, they, they completely it's sort of deserve interesting it. Though, right? To take just a, a kind of bit more global view on this whole thing. It's like watching America at the moment, really lower its position in the world and world politics. And now looking at, uh, it, it, it Britain and seeing it's diminished role going forward in world politics by exiting the EU. It's like, where are the new, who are the new power centers? And it seems like Germany's a really big one. China is going to be huge. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like Russia is sort of getting what it wants because it's benefited from both of these things, both of these recent events. Yeah, I, although, I mean, I think from a global power standpoint, there's still sort of like the, the hyena at the edge of the village. I mean, there uh, are they're, they're more scraps and there are more bodies kind of lying around and they can crunch on more bones, but... They're not sort of driving. Yeah, maybe the you're right. Maybe I'm clearing. overestimating. What I think is, it- maybe I'm overestimating how powerful that can actually be in global politics. But it does seem like they've certainly increased their seeming power at a minimum. Yeah, or or the the, I mean, I guess their rhetorical power, especially as a cudgel to be used within, uh, you know, internal politics of these countries. I mean, which you're seeing with, 
the United States, where we sort of like a neo McCarthyism, but driven by the Democratic Party. Um, uh, you know, there, there's certainly that effect, which uh, is, is damaging, I guess, for uh, is certainly damaging for the unanimity of uh, of opinion on foreign policy, kind of vis a vis Russia. But uh, what what I think is interesting, I don't know if you you might have seen this with. The uh, Nate Silver kind of wrestled over on 538 with the idea that Donald Trump has kind of uh, spelled the end of the rise of of the new right in Europe. And he took some data and, you know, sort of looking at the voting patterns and uh, what UKIP got in the UK in the previous election versus now, uh, how parties were performing in France. He he leaned toward uh, the theory that the candidates that embraced Trump the most paid for it uh, at the ballot box the most. And Theresa May was very close and, and chummy with Trump, and, and that's how she got pummeled. I don't agree with that, but I, I think, uh, I, I you know, like in England, you can see uh, once the Brexit vote passed, you can make a case for why would people vote for UKIP necessarily once uh, the Tories have given them what they wanted. And you saw the well, UKIP has has essentially imploded now, right? Yeah, and and the, like it's kind of gone. Nigel Farage is gone. The um, guy who replaced him has also stepped down in the wake of the election. Like it's it's sort of gone. I don't think they've got a single seat in the new parliament. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, I I don't know about their 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 seats, but I do know that most of of their lost vote flowed toward the Tories. So it's I think it's a lot of people just going home to their familiar party. But then I, I think Labour ate into that to some degree by saying like, hey, well, you know, look, these people are are angry nationalist populists. We can co-opt them with just populism, uh, basic mm. economic populism. Um, you know, he uh, Silver was looking at, you know, the, the issues in Germany where you have the opposition siding with uh, Angela Merkel and saying like, you know, this Trump guy is 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 uh, bad news. So I think that kind of like gives a little bit of a wash to his theory. He, he brought up Geert Wilders and in, in, uh um, in the Netherlands. Uh, Netherlands? Yeah. And yeah. then he brought up uh, Just, Macron's victory in, in France to sort of say like, well, look, you know, the, the uh, uh, shit, uh, Marine Le Pen. Or not, was it Marine? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Buddying up with Trump. That would probably add to Nate Silver's argument you were referring to before. Just as a bit of a counter, though, on what you were saying about the UKIP vote going to the Tories, I was hearing a lot on the, um, the Guardian have got a, pretty good politics podcast as well which you shouldn't listen to if you listen to our show um but they were going through in the wake of the election and um they were talking about nigel farage was trying to warn everyone he was saying look that our voters aren't all coming from the conservatives um and he actually believes that a lot of the ukip voters left to go under corbyn and it's that um the same sort of people who would be wrestling with you know uh, uh trump versus bernie um, of who are the kind of uh, the the white underclass who are from that kind of rust belt bit of the US who have been the big lo- losers from things like automation and globalization who are trying to um, reinvigorate their position in society or mainly just kind of get their piece of the pie in this new world after they've been from generations of machinists or you know people who work with their hands and they've got more traditional values and uh, things like unionism seem very attractive to them. So in a weird way, there's this kind of overlap between this xenophobic uh, anti-immigrant vote and these really hardline unionist workers' rights leftists. Oh, I think that's absolutely correct. I don't think that's necessarily... I don't know if the data bears that out, and I haven't been able to look at enough of it. Um, I think that Farage has to do that just for spin anyway. By saying like, look, you know, we we if we're going to be nationalists, we, <laughs> we're not all just racist. Yeah, that's fair. Well, not that's only fair. we're not all just racist, but you know, <laughs> UKIP has to have. A, I mean, so you know, the, one of the things that I find kind of a problem with with Silver kind of leaning toward Trump poisoned the rise of the right in Europe is that most of the votes fell, the percentages fell back to within recent, like the past you know decade plus statistical norms. So. You know, the idea that things spiked a little bit in Britain before, that might have been people turning out to vote for this separation from Europe. And then once, you know, once they're done with that, they kind of go home to mama. Uh, You know, this could have been, you know, just a a general protest vote in some other countries. I don't think necessarily Trump is scaring 
uh, you know, uh, ethnic nationalists away from ethnic nationalism or people who are casual ethnic nationalists. Mm. But, uh, I, you know, for for somebody like Farage, they, they have to, you know, the political party to borrow uh, a Woody Allen analogy, you know, it's like a shark. It has to keep moving or it dies. So uh, they have to move to to some other set of values. And it can't just be we have to get out of Europe because if mission is accomplished, people are going to go to another party that has that has an answer to the and then what? Part. Yeah, yeah, which it feels like is what's yeah, happened. And it, um, sure. I, yeah, sorry. Oh no, and just you know, like you. he's right that like you know an actual an actual labor party, not a neoliberal uh, labor party that's basically uh, um, you know catering to like you know wealthy Londoners who who feel you know who have a kind of cosmopolitan relation to the economy, like an actual sort of. Uh, labor populist thing that he knows that that's going to uh, eat into his base. So he has to send, signal that warning and all, not only to members of the party, but also to, you know, fan like fans and voters listening that, you know, we hear you and we're going to keep doing this stuff for you uh, because, I mean, he's right. That's an existential threat. I don't know if the numbers are going to bear that out yet because um, uh, Corbin has until recently just been taken as a joke. And then only now are we seeing stuff like yesterday is saying that uh, the, the, the refugees from that uh, terrible um, uh, sort of like Kensington flat fire should be housed in, in the, the abandoned mansions mm-hmm. of, of the Kensington elite, not abandoned, but unoccupied mansions where, you know, wealthy people are just going in and buying this real estate and using it as a, a, just a holding. And and something like fifty nine percent of Britons, apparently in a recent YouGov poll, absolutely agree that you know they they shouldn't be like seized permanently, but there should be requisitioned in a crisis. Like, sorry, you know, if you've got an empty house, we're going to put people in it, and that's great. But and and it, I I think that's the sort of shit that that Farage is looking at with dread because that's the worst thing for them is like a a leftist who actually acts like a leftist. Yeah, yeah. Um, this. One thing I want to end on, and I promised that we weren't going to blow the timing of this episode out, but we haven't talked in a while. And it was just, there's been two high-profile acts of gun violence in America in the news recently. And what kind of um, really made me pay attention to it is uh, there was a a bit of kind of unreported news in New Zealand recently with our national government, which is a centre-right-led government, had ignored 13 of 20 recommendations from a select committee process here in my country in New Zealand um, about gun safety. And the uh, president of the police association has come out and slammed our police minister, a woman called Paula Bennett, who um, I'm not a massive fan of, but uh, that's neither here nor there. And it was just, so I've just kind of like had the gun thing in my head for a little bit. And uh, in, in the last uh, sort of 48 hours, we had the shooting of uh, Steve Scalise that happened during a baseball practice of GOP uh, staffers and members uh, for the upcoming friendly congressional baseball game that happens where four people in total were shot, um, two cops and a lobbyist and a congressional staffer, in addition to the 51-year-old gunman who was um, shot and killed at the scene by Capitol Police. And... There's been, I think, a real rush to analyze that event, and um, there was a, a real uptick all of a sudden when it happened in chatter and uh, uh, right media about is this the new bloodthirsty left? Is this a result of all of the um, horrible vitriol that's been shared around social media? Is this the natural extinction of Kathy Griffin's, um, you know, image of? Donald Trump with the uh, his severed head being carried away. I just wondered, Jeb, if you kind of had any thoughts about what had happened. Um, myself, I I just think it's like it's you know a mentally ill person who's done a terrible thing, and I always kind of hate how much gets attributed to the to them when this happens. Uh, yeah, I mean, like where to begin with it? This isn't a common occurrence. This sort of like this this advent of you know political gun violence this doesn't happen very often and i'm just loath to try and attach and ascribe so much um over analysis to something that has a sample size of you know one event and and the recent yeah uh, so i mean christ so obviously the right jumped all over this because it was to their advantage to paint the left as out of control i mean previously the best they had was uh uh the old uh, cross-burning racist Charles Murray, author of The Bell Curve, getting no platformed at a college, and uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, 
uh, not being able to speak at Berkeley on his, um, you know, at the time secretly funded by some uh, some wealthy right winger, uh, you know, for this this speaking tour that really nobody gave a shit about. Uh, it was really just, I think, bait for outrage. Uh, so all the right had was like people yelling at uh, uh, at, at right wingers and, and the occasional punch to Richard Spencer's head. Um, and they very much need to kind of call to mind um, the early 70s when uh, the weathermen were were bombing uh, uh, buildings all over the country. I mean, there were there were dozens and dozens of bombings in the United States by left wing groups. And we, we forget that now. Um, but they, they want to harken back to those old days. And they also want to get away with with um, kind of whitewashing. Uh, the history of, of their extraordinarily violent rhetoric. I mean, you cannot go to a right-wing protest in this country, um, especially, you know, one about the federal government. I mean, you can go, but like it, it seems like you cannot most of the time without seeing uh, somebody holding a placard about how the tree of liberty must be washed, uh, must be watered uh, periodically with the blood of tyrants. And it's very clear which tyrant they mean. It's always, you know, it's always the Democrat. It's always in, in the last eight years, it was Obama. So they were carrying around these implicit death threats. It was not hard to find images of Obama uh, being hung in effigy. Um, so the urge for you know creating a false equivalency on the left to kind of uh, obviate any responsibility on the right uh, is, is is really plain. Um, you know, if for nothing more than there are evidence of of concrete acts of violence made in in favor of the right wing. Uh, to take Milo Yiannopoulos, there was a man shot and killed at one of Milo Yiannopoulos's rallies by a Milo Yiannopoulos fan uh, in Portland, Oregon, just a few weeks ago. A white supremacist, um, you know, stabbed and and killed, stabbed three people and killed two. Um, over you know, after yelling at uh, women in, uh, on a train wearing hijab. Um, you know, there, uh, the, the Charleston, uh, the, the, the man who went in and uh, Dylan Roof, who went into a, a church in, in, uh, Charleston and, and shot a bunch of black people, did it to start, um, to send a signal that they needed to leave the country. I mean, there are acts of, of politicized violence all the time. My friend Emma Roller has a great piece in Fusion, by the way, on this, I think titled America is Violent. Uh, but just lists the the numerous acts of uh, uh, of political violence carried out in on behalf of the right wing. Um, another thing to bear in mind: the the Obama Department of Justice back in uh, 2009 or 2010 released a report saying that the number one threats uh, uh, number one threat of domestic terror in the United States came from right wing white groups. Um, the, so the DOJ knew this and, and the right wing just went absolutely ape shit saying, oh, you know, you're, you're demonizing us. This is completely unfair. So the report was scrapped and that kind of, that domestic terrorism, um, monitoring program w was basically decommissioned. Um, not because it was wrong. But the, I mean, this, this is starting to sound, Jeb, like two wrongs don't make a right argument from you. Like I, isn't there some sort of a way to kind of assail above the tit for tat, you know, drawing a list on both sides of all the incidents that happened perpetrated by left-leaning people and right-leaning people and kind of recognize that if you do this kind of shit, you're a dipshit and you don't deserve to be part of the political conversation and have your views shared around on the news and picked over by analysts oh, endlessly. No. I feel like you... It, the time of you picking up an instrument of violence or a weapon and using it, you have sacrificed any political viewpoint that you have. That's, I think, in something like America, certainly. Like it, there are extreme examples. There's things that are happening um, in South America at the moment where you know violent uprising seems to be the only thing left to try and get the will of the people um, enacted. But when you've got a functioning democracy in some semblance, I think you sacrifice any semblance of political. Uh, you know, you don't you don't get to have a political view if it's at the end of a sight on a rifle. Look, yeah, I agree with you in a functioning democracy that that's absolutely correct. And I don't have any empathy for this guy who shot Steve Scalise. I don't really have a lot of empathy for Steve Scalise because he billed himself as David Duke without the baggage, uh, which itself like. 
I don't know a lot about Steve Scalise. I have to admit. So is, is he? He's a pretty, uh, pretty. Uh, he's the dude. number three man in the uh, uh, in the house, and yeah, he he went to a uh, white supremacist conference in in New or- in uh, Louisiana, where he is a from from which he is a representative, and he um, billed himself as basically having the politics of David Duke without the baggage. David Duke, former KKK Grand Wizard or Imperial Wizard, I can't remember which. Um, but anyway, yeah, the guy who shot Scalise, fuck him. I no no sympathy. Uh, you know, I hope that he was disturbed. Uh, it would be more convenient politically for the left if it if this was a guy who was not in his right mind. Um, I will say, however, that you know, like the idea of the res- the uh, of legitimate resort to armed violence is baked into one party in the United States and has been mainstreamed in one party in the United States. I mean, you're talking about when it's legitimate to resort to violence when a functional functioning democracy has broken down. That is essentially the rhetoric of Second Amendment adherence. It is the Second Amendment, you know, if you actually go through the, the, the history of its writing and the contemporary understanding of the definitions of words in it, it has nothing to do with legitimating an insurrection against the government and the murder of government officials. If you look at uh, basically like sorts of people who go to protests and carry signs like the tree of liberty must be washed by the blood of tyrants, their, their, their reading of the Second Amendment is this is a safety valve for us to kill anybody who we think is uh, uh, breaking and you know stealing America from real citizens. And that attitude has been nurtured and it has been encouraged with, you know, cute illusion and never anything so explicit as a command to violence by the right wing for decades. So when I, I, I don't accept either side doing it, I don't accept this guy shooting Steve Scalise. But to me, this is sort of like when, when people are pointing him out, this, this shooter out, when, when uh, uh, liberals and centrists and the right wing are pointing him out and and waving their finger and blaming that nasty man, Bernie Sanders. It's sort of like making a Sunday out of three turds and then spraying some whipped turds on there and then getting mad at the person who takes a week old maraschino cherry and puts it on top and saying, I can't believe that guy ruined the Sunday of America. Right? <laughs> like <laughs> Just briefly, a beautiful mental image to end on, Jeb. Um, I... Just wanted to bring up as well, just before we bail for this episode, I was going to say this week, but realistically, our timings are terrible. And again, sorry about that. We'll try and be better. Um, <clears throat> in the last few hours, just before we got on, actually, uh, Philando Castile uh, is a, a guy who was shot by police late last year um, for doing absolutely nothing. He got pulled over by a cop for a broken tail light, um, had his partner and uh, her four-year-old daughter in the car at the time. Uh, when he went to produce his wallet and ID um, for a cop, uh, the cop shot him four times and he died while uh, his partner was Facebook live streaming basically the events of what was happening uh, in real time to the world. Yeah. And the court has just decided that the cop has been found uh, not guilty of second degree manslaughter and um, it's just a fucking tragedy. And I just thought it bared worth mentioning on here because um, it kind of broke my heart. And I just, I've got so much respect for uh, the family's comments. In particular, there's, there's been a couple of comments made by uh, Philando Castile's mum, uh, Valerie, I think her name is, and just the seeming kind of courage and bravery and articulation that she's been able to produce in the wake of seeing her son get gunned down by a city that he loved has been... Um, quite incredible to watch and it's just a fucking tragedy another yeah, one and and the other uh thing i i think had been reported months ago that kind of fell out of the news cycle and then was re-reported today or maybe it came out today for the first time i i, I very i'm i seriously doubt the latter i think it was the former but he had been pulled over 46 times before that fucking hell and this was a guy who, like all the accounts that have come out from him, have just been that this was just this was just a model guy. This was like a really great, excellent human being who you'd want in your neighborhood and your city and living next door to you. Yeah, and it, um, he, fuck, what a bummer! He, he alerted on. the cop too. You know, I think he, he said, you know, I have a gun in the car. I'm, yeah. but I'm producing Talked my, you know, my license. Yeah. I mean, he did. You know, you know, 
for for people not in the United States listening to this, I mean, there, there's the the expression like the talk that uh, black parents have with black kids, and the talk is hear all the things you don't do because the police will use it as an excuse to shoot you. Um, don't go running down the street in the middle of the night, like away from you know, like a just don't go running like at all, like unless it, don't go running. Yeah, unless, unless it's on like yeah. a, you know an athletic field, like people are going to assume that you are running away from something you have stolen, you know? Uh, and so the, the thing that always gets me when this is talked about in the media is um, the, the subjugation, the self subjugation that needs to happen at the hands of police officers for African Americans throughout America of just the, the having to placate the officer who's pulled them over for, you know, for no reason yeah. at all. Um, the, the, yes, sir, please, sir. Can I have another, sir? You know, yeah. all of that bullshit. Three bags full, just, sir. Yeah, and and yeah. he, I mean, by all accounts, like that that's what he was doing, right? And and like because he, he yeah, absolutely. And and sorry, you, you mentioned the gun earlier as well. I just wanted um append to that that it was a totally legally uh, owned gun that he had a, a permit for and everything. There was nothing illegal about him having the gun in the car. And he, as you say, he alerted the officer to that. He was explaining what he was doing by producing his uh his ID and his wallet and the guy got shot four times and the cop has just been found. Uh, yeah. And it's so like, but that the, the presence of the gun and the fact that he's a licensed owner, like only heightens the fact, you know, like heightens his vigilance as somebody being pulled over because if they find the gun without him notifying ahead of time, that induces panic. Right. It, whereas if you're a white guy, you can kind of just have it like, you know, on the, the back of your, your, your jeans and like be, you know, get pulled out of the car drunk. It'd be on a hat. Like exactly. A you can, you could have a Glock on each side. Yeah, and then you just sort of like, you, you kind of blow through the hose in your mouth and that pulls the trigger, I guess. I'm not really sure how the phone dome would work, but we, we're we going to yeah. get to work on that as soon as we're done. Um, but yeah, like, so he's he's doing the right thing. And and instead what happens is he he falls prey to what's called the investigatory stop. stop. You see a black person, you pull them over because you know that if you detain them long enough, you will find some reason to justify their arrest. Or you see the taillight, and that gets you in, you know, you pull them over, that gets you a look inside the car, which gets you to the drugs they must have. And the rate at which this happens to black citizens versus white citizens is just overwhelming. And, you know, I remember after Ferguson, there was, I think it was public policy polling, did a thing where they they, uh, they pulled a bunch of white people from around the area of Ferguson and asked if they drove with contraband in the car or if they drove drunk or if they drove under the influence. And white people answered in the affirmative overwhelmingly more than black people because they know they're not going to be subject to investigatory stops. Uh, so we're targeting, you know, this this entire race of people to terrorize them and keep them pacified and keep them in that yes or no sir mindset, uh, but also to gin up, uh, you know, like easy arrests when you could just pull over like any white person under 20 driving in any suburb and you're probably going to find drugs um in fact they're probably yeah. the dealer you know <laughs> you know, yeah uh and 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 you know um instead like you know man i know so many people i know so many people i went to college with who got pulled over drunk and just told like follow the you know follow my cruiser home just follow us home and you'll be fine oh yeah really oh yeah and, you know, this guy gets pulled over. Man, we do not fuck around with drunk driving in New Zealand. Well, though. I mean, but, you know, they were good kids from the college. They were white, you know, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this. And on the other hand, you have this guy gets pulled over 46 times and gets shot uh, in the chest for doing everything right. Or, you know, the, the, the gentleman in, I can't remember which Carolina it was, who got pulled over, ran away, and the cop, you know, just emptied uh, the magazine in his back. Um, you know, that... That didn't happen to anybody I went to school with. Uh, we all got pulled over at some mm. point, but that never happened to us. Yeah. Uh, well, way to end on a downer, Tim. My bad. <laughs> but it's important to kind of, you know, record and note these things uh, when they happen. These people shouldn't just be ignored because it's a grim story. It's grim probably because it does keep getting ignored. So on that note, Jeb, um, hey, I wanted to say, actually, I'll try and lighten the tone very briefly in the end of this episode by saying that I congratulate you on taking a little breather and seeing your family on the other coast of America. That is a cool thing to do and something that I am trying to focus on doing a little bit more of this year as well, reconnecting with some friends that I've been like too busy doing work shit to see 
in the last I don't know three years <laughs> and and family members and stuff I'm, I'm making a real focus to try and hang out with people a little bit more from here on in and I think it is a good thing that we should all yeah, be well, doing and that is my goop sign off <laughs> uh, so let me let me append that because I appended your downer with more downer Place. Uh, because we were talking about this off yeah, air, please. you know, the, there's this tendency because we think now we've got, you know, unlimited free texts and we can text from our computer instead of having to get the phone out too, you know, and, and we've got Skype uh, and FaceTime and email and... And some of the phones don't have cords yeah. anymore, man. Um, so like, yeah, my I, my I send a lot of rotary texts, um, but, <laughs> um, you know, we have this kind of like false idea that we, we're up on what's happening with everybody. And I think... Uh, you know, even people that are close to us, if we don't see them face to face periodically, it's it's hard to get that jolt, that visual reminder that time has passed and they have aged and they have changed. And that visual reminder is helpful because, you know, it, it, it tells you that, you know, maybe those conversations you had that are comfortable for you or about topics that you like haven't covered those, those little sort of, uh, you know, satellite issues that uh, that happen in their lives when you're not around and that that are changing them. And, and it's um, you know, like go outside and, and, and see some folks. I, I agree. I think I, it's going to be difficult for you doing that on the left coast of America, um, at least family wise, because you, you, you'd have to start one. But I, I believe in you and you can do it. And uh, hopefully uh, after you've done that, you will have as bad of a cold and a sore throat as, as I do right now. I can't think of a better place than California to start start afresh. Uh, that'd be great. Hey, thanks, Jeb. It's been great to talk to you after yeah, an absence. I'm, I'm nice glad. Yeah, I'm glad we. I'm glad we got back on the horse, and and um, so no more vacations for us. Like we got to just read for another week and come back. I've actually got um, I've got uh, big plans for the the this here podcast network. People might not know this. Listen to the podcast, but I've kind of I started a podcast network, um, and, and so I'm hiring a few people to give me a hand because I've been doing such a fucking shoddy job of it so far. So I'm going to attempt to um, pump a little bit of money in now that I've paid off a bit of credit card debt and giving the tax man back what I owe him. And uh, so hopefully these will come out a little bit smoother and nicer and more regularly, most importantly. So thanks for bearing with us. Really appreciate you, you listening. If you like it, give it a review. If you don't, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Go listen to uh, the Slate Political Gab Fest or the, the yeah, Guardian's crap, politics God. one. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Jeb. Right, bye-bye. As the jury's acquittal sank in, emotions spilled onto the plaza outside the courthouse in St. Paul. Damn! What is it going to take? I'm mad as hell right now. Yes, I am. Valerie Castile is the mother of Philando Castile, who was shot to death by police officer Geronimo Yanez during a routine traffic stop almost a year ago. This city killed my son. 